0: This is a sample of one of the reasons that I read every day and multiple times a day. Chris Bray at Substack, he writes uh, under the page, tell me how this ends. It's a great reason that he calls it that, and I'm going to ask him about it. He's joining us in the program here. Headline, culture war is a force that gives us meaning. A new target is designated. Chris writes, Elon Musk is very bad. Elon Musk is a white supremacist. He is an unperson." He wasn't an enemy last month, but anyway, attack and this is Elon Musk getting booed when he got on stage with I'm Dave to
1: Chappelle. Some noise with the richest man in
0: the world. He gets booed getting on stage with Dave Chappelle. Back to Chris's piece. The designation of new targets has become extraordinarily efficient as a standing army of woke trolls assembles in the virtual ranks to await their daily opord. We'll talk to him about that phrase. The army doesn't need to hear an argument, just needs to be pointed. Getting a crowd to boo in San Francisco is essentially a push-button operation. Pick someone who's a woke hero today, and I make you a promise. You could get a woke crowd to boo that person vigorously by tomorrow afternoon at the latest. Someone always has to be the enemy. Because a fresh enemy is always needed. I'm disgusted and arranged by blank. Atomization in the form of the breakdown of families and neighborhoods and voluntary organizations and communities empties people who start looking for something to join. And he provides a great chart of just showing just that. And he talks about the call, the target. And he gives us a great example Stephen Colbert, who's a very, very funny comedian Sometimes he uses the F word It's so funny when he does that um, He was fired up about President Trump firing Jimmy Comey Your
2: host, Stephen Colbert uh, Huge story that broke just minutes ago Like less than 10 minutes ago FBI Director James Comey has just been fired by Donald Trump huge huge Donald Trump fans here tonight.
0: They- now watch him go to work as Chris points out. He's going to turn this, right? Chris writes. Remember that Stephen Colbert's audience cheered wildly when Colbert announced that James Comey had been fired? Then Colbert reassigned the meaning of the event and the same audience pivoted to boo at the one-minute mark, seconds after they cheered.
2: That's, that shows no gratitude at all. Man. I mean, what, did Trump forget about the Hillary emails that Comey talked about? I mean, uh, thanks for the presidency, uh, Jimmy. Now, don't let the door hit you where the Electoral College split you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shy. Uh, my pulse is racing he fired the fbi director who has said under oath that he's investigating the trump campaign's ties with russia no rationale has been given yet as to why but it came on the recommendation of attorney general jeff sessions yeah, yeah. i think i think i think i might know why i think he was fired uh, because comey couldn't guess the name rumpelstiltskin
0: haha <laughs> so funny The great Chris Bray joins us on The Todd Herman Show.
2: The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman.
0: Today is the day the Lord has made and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Bulwark Capital Management and helps us get segments like this in front of people. always appreciate Zach and the team. I'm really excited for this conversation. I want to give one more example of why I just love this man's writing and his mind. Chris Bay writes, we need an amnesty for when I destroyed you. <laughs> <laughs> this is back in October 31. He wrote this. I warn you that I'm going to be obsessing about this for a while, but I suspect you wouldn't be here if you weren't on the same bus. Last year, an anesthesiologist at UCLA Medical Center, Dr. Christopher Rake, was aggressively escorted out of the building and placed on unpaid leave for refusing the MRNA injections.
2: Uh, they are escorting me out of the building. What's your title, sir? Don't, don't come near me. What's your title? Don't come near me. Okay. Just keep watching. And uh, this is what happens when you stand up for freedom. And when you show up to work, uh, willing to work, despite being unvaccinated. And this is the price you have to pay sometimes.
0: And the guy who's posing as a tough man, and he's not, they can look at him and see that, um, is, of course, wearing a woke mask. Back to Chris's piece. Other physicians publicly celebrated the destruction of his livelihood and his career. Letter to the editor. Good for UCLA for escorting out an anti vaccine doctor. To the editor, the first oath of all doctors first do no harm. UCLA anesthesiologist Dr. Christopher B. Rake, who was escorted out of his workplace because he was not vaccinated against COVID 19, may have learned, a, may have harmed a lot of people. Can you imagine how easy it is for him to infect someone as he bends over his patient's open mouth and throat and inserts his endocriteal star, uh, endro, sorry, I'm getting excited, endrotracheal tube? You quote Dr. Rake as saying, but what they don't realize is I'm willing to lose everything job, paycheck, freedom, even my life for this cause. But does that give him the right to ignore the lives of his patients? It's obvious that he did not learn enough about infectious disease in medical school. Harry Schrag, MD, Roseda. Note that this letter appeared in the Los Angeles Times in October 2021, more than two months after the director of the CDC said plainly, the mRNA injections don't stop COVID transmission. Just a sample of the writing and how this guy thinks, Chris Bray. Join us on the Todd Herman Show. Links to his work, and I do suggest you subscribe. It's worth paying for, by the way, right there uh, in the show notes. So much to ask him. We're absolutely blessed here to be able to work with companies who are not beholden to the pharma evil. And that company most directly, well, there's two of them, really soda, but most directly is uh, Healthy uh, Healthy Cell. It is not beholden to the pharma world. And in fact, uh, the founder and CEO of Healthy Cell, his dad is a very, very famous and for good reasons, Dr who stands outside of the pharma, the ruinous pharma circle. And he learned from his pop how to operate this way. So when he found that Healthy Cell, it was out of an observation about what people are putting in their bodies and just getting scammed. If you have a bunch of tablets at home and they're just crushed into these massive, hard, rock-like pills uh, and their vitamins or their sleep aids, your body can't absorb a good portion of that. The nutrients in pill form are mostly solid particles, often 10 to 100 times too big to absorb. It's, it's like trying to swallow or consume fine sand. Healthy Cell is presented in a microgel technology that, number one, tastes terrific. Number two, you don't need water to take it. You can put it in a shake if you want to. I just rip them open and take them. Number three, they're 165% more absorbable and all the ingredients are natural. There's no fillers. There's no coloring. It's just natural. There's three products they have, all of which I stand by. The Sleep Aid, I'm getting comments now from customers, the REM Sleep Aid, just like I experienced. Smooth sleep. You stay asleep. It doesn't feel like getting knocked out. And you don't wake up with that jolt four hours later. I love it. They also have vitamins. This is a no-brainer. If you are taking vitamins in pill form, you're getting ripped off. So, you can go to HealthyCell.com slash Todd and use promo code Todd to get 20% off your first order. There's also this. In the afternoon, I've replaced my beloved coffee with a Healthy Cell, who has an alertness aid. It helps you have memory and recall. And I took it, uh, was what day is today? I'm recording this. I took it yesterday. In fact, I took two of them. And it was phenomenal. I had that afternoon tiredness. It was gone. You can go to com slash Todd. That's healthycell.com slash Todd. Use promo code Todd for 20% off your first order. Again, that's com slash Todd. Promo code Todd for 20% off your first order. Healthycell.com slash Todd. I always say one of the cool things about doing a podcast a radio show is you get to talk to people that you deeply, deeply admire. Chris Bray, welcome to the Todd Herman Show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I said just prior to talking with you, um, we were turning the recording button on, I, I regard your writing as always informative, always entertaining, and I don't think I've ever read someone who more consistently teaches me something uh, so I just wanted to start by thanking you for that. And for the listeners, uh, there's a link to Chris's work in the, in the podcast notes here. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, let me just start with a quick question about you. Um, why do you do what you do? I mean, okay, money. I know you've been on Tucker's show. And incidentally, I discovered you before Tucker did, or at least I started talking about you, know, you before Tucker did. Why do you do what you do?
1: Uh Irritation. <laughs> I just, I, it's like, uh, I, I think oysters make pearls because the sand irritates them and they try to encase the, the, the sand. Right. Yeah. I just, I have such a strong sense looking at the world and looking at the way the world is presented to us, looking at the way media frames the world over and over and over again. I read new stories. I look at things that are happening and I say, well, that's not true. Like in an obvious way, that's not true for me. The, the, Sabrina Rubin's early story about the uh the frat rape at the University of Virginia campus is always one of the the triggering moments that that helps to make sense of what I'm talking about that she published that story and and on Twitter and on Facebook and all over social media uh people who are prominent journalists were saying, "Oh, what a brilliant piece of investigation from this extraordinary journalist and I went and read that story and like. 30 seconds in, I started going, what? (laughs) Alarms started ringing in my head. And I mean, like 10 paragraphs in, I said, none of this happened. This is false. And when you start digging for things, I see this all the time in the world that that I live in, that if I look at a news story and it represents the world to me in a particular way, if I just go look at it... If a journalist tells you about a document, a government report or something like that, and you go look at the thing, it's not that. And so I'm constantly like I feel constantly provoked into examining things. I feel constantly irritated by the way the world is misrepresented and the way narratives shape our understanding of the world rather than facts about what's happening
0: you wrote uh, about an experiment I've referenced multiple times but you did such a better job with it it's the Ash line experiment and uh, I think we live in a true Ash line experiment people are told that's not a woman that's a man or that's a what that's a that's not a man that's a woman I just I'm as I'm speaking to you I'm on a six-day suspension from Twitter for noting that uh, dr. Rachel Levin um, was saying hey if I had been you know chemically mutilated said she mutilated when I was a young person. I wouldn't have my kids. This is the same uh, Rachel Levin who is, he is saying, well, mutilate and sexually mutilate and chemically mutilate kids now. And I pointed out that appears deranged to me. And so I'm saying, not only is that not a woman, I don't think that's a, some, something a doctor does. And yeah. I'm in my Ash line experiments, I picked the wrong line. And there's, you, this is one of your gifts is calling that out. And um. Okay, this is gets to the heart of things for me, at least professionally. Um, you wrote about, and we began Substack early on. You wrote about a case where young journalists would just come to you and Chris, "Hey, you're attending this trial. You're reading, the, you're reading the documents. Tell me how this ends. I don't have time." Is it laziness? Is it is it spiritual blindness? What is it with these people?
1: Yeah, I wrote about a I wrote about a long very complicated, very controversial international court case that went on for years and years and years uh, involving IRA interviews stored at Boston College. And I used to uh, like I would email journalists and say, oh, the judge's ruling just came out and and I would attach it. I would attach like the judge's five page order and they would say, what did he say? (laughs) And I would say, his order is attached. You can read it. And they said, yeah, I saw it was attached. What does it say? And there are, <laughs> there are so many things going on there. And one, I think, is that uh, the digitalization of media, I think, as a journalist now at a you know the Huffington Post, say, for example, you're judged by your clicks and you're constantly chasing clicks. And if you're not getting as many clicks as the other people in the newsroom, you're failing. As a journalist, you're not getting eyeballs. So they're driven to give you the most emotional reading they can give you on a story. Mm. They're given, they're driven to give you the, the take on a story that makes you angry or sad or fearful. And they don't have time. They don't have time to sit around and think about what something means. They're looking for what's the quick emotional hit they can get. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's destroying us. I think the incentives in. What passes for mainstream journalism now are causing us extraordinary harm yeah and and i'm very very grateful for something like substack um that gives us an alternative to that that yeah. gives us a way of digging in more deeply and and that particularly lets us do things like embed documents and say to people don't believe me don't listen to me this this document this report this this government claim this is extraordinary Go look at it and you see what you think of it. Yeah. And I think journalism, mainstream journalism is extraordinarily disincentivized to do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to say it. And, and I spent some time in in that world, but not like you. I was uh, working at Microsoft and then I, was a, I, I did another startup. And um, for those reasons, I would get invited to Associated Press board member meetings and I would go address them. Um, and I remember talking with them about the advance of digital and you need to get ahead of this. And then I remember talking to them of why are you giving all your clicks to Facebook? Why are you promoting Twitter? Why does this make sense for you? Um, but I also had this really interesting you know, interaction that leads me to believe they were the first one in the Ashline experiment, Chris. Um, I was in the offices of the New York Times, and this was back in the Sarah Palin uh, era when she was vice presidential candidate. And I was sitting with and I won't say his name because it was a private meeting, but he was a very is a very respected business reporter. And my company was called Spotter. There's a little sign for Spin Spotter behind me. And I, he said, okay, show me spin in my paper. So I picked up the phrase, TaserGate. And I said, he goes, why is it spin? I said, click on the app. So he clicked on the app and he said, wait, we were the first to call it TaserGate? I said, yes, you were. First appearances in the New York Times. Do you know the origin of the story? Or no, pardon me, they were calling it TrooperGate, TrooperGate. They were calling it Troopergate because it was Sarah Palin wrongly firing a trooper. So they called it Troopergate. I said, do you know what it was called in Alaska? And he goes, no. I said, click the app. And he went in and he found the original story where it was called Tasergate. That man was unaware that a trooper had used his police-issued taser to tase a child, his child. Ooh. And it was that for which he was fired. In my presence, he picked up the phone on speakerphone and he called a colleague and he said, This gets this is insane. We don't get to call it this. Do you why is this not yeah. mentioned in the story? And and he looked at me and put down the phone and said, I am deeply embarrassed. But it was because he got called into the real world outside of the Ashline experiment. So how how much of this is also Borg think or you know being trapped in that the I don't want
1: to use cliches with Chris Bray, but a bubble? Look at what's happening to Matt Tybee this week. Yeah. Matt Tybee uh, has been publishing the Twitter files, showing people doing the thing I talked about, embedding documents, showing people emails between the FBI and Twitter, showing people the story, not just telling the story, showing people how the federal government has intervened in social media. And people are freaking out and mainstream journalists are saying, I think it's a shame that Matt used to be a journalist, but now he isn't anymore because he's telling people the truth. He's showing people the truth. He's embedding documents and letting them see for themselves, and suddenly that makes him not a journalist. So there is an expectation, a professional expectation, that if you're a member of the club, you'll follow the narrative. It's the journalist uh, experience. You'll follow the narrative, you'll tell the story that, that, that we're telling today. And I see like I, I see this sort of cueing behavior all the time. Hmm. Um, where people get a cue, this is the story we're all going to tell today. When uh, Matt Tybee first started publishing the Twitter files, suddenly a hundred different mainstream journalists said the same line. They said, "I think it's a shame that Matt Tybee, who used to be a journalist, has become a PR rep for a billionaire. And they all use the same sentence. That cultural orienting, that, that cueing that this is what we're going to say today and then everyone says it uh, is really disturbing. And it, it suggests that we have a group of people who are sort of credentialed for status and belonging on the basis of their ability to believe what they're expected to believe today and to repeat the line they're expected to repeat today. And how do you survive that? How do you you build and maintain a functioning society on the basis of a bunch of people who don't seek truth, don't dig for facts, but regard their function as journalists and as political leaders, Uh, you know, if you ever – make the mistake of spending 10 minutes looking at the Twitter feed of someone like Ted Lieu or Adam Schiff. <laughs> People who have a line and they, they, by God, say it, no matter how much it makes sense to say it. Um, we have a culture of sort of ritual chanting and repetition that's radically disconnected from truth. Yeah. Oh, man, that's beautifully said.
0: It's beautifully and it's hauntingly said. And it stands, it stands to reason then that in this organization or this, this uh, narrative hiving, as it were, you mentioned journalists. I want to make sure people catch that reference. It, we, we caught so-called mainstream journalists conspiring to structure the, the narrative around Sarah Palin from competing news organizations. And they literally got caught. I happen to know, um, by the way, Chris, the person who outed that list. Uh, I don't know if that's public knowledge yet, but the person who actually went went public and said, this is what's going on. And that was found out that competing news organizations had split up the work. OK, we'll hit her this way. You cover this angle. You cover this angle. And the reward for that was Ezra Klein getting to found Vox uh, with a, a group of people involved in that. And you had corporate dollars flow into that and make Ezra and others a rich, rich people uh, and also you know narratively powerful people, uh, so this stuff is real, and i 'll tell you what uh, Chris, when I was you know, still in the separate country of Seattle, we had probably fifteen, sixteen, maybe even twenty families whose kids were either medically kidnapped for the for the gender lie or faced that, and I took it to um, investigative reporters I knew, and in one case, one of the women wept. And she embraced me. She said, I am so sorry for what these families are going through. And um, I'm going to cover this. We're going to blow this up. And, and it didn't appear. Yeah. And you want to know what happened? There's two investigative reporters. Two investigative reporters said to me, uh, I cannot believe it. This story has been spiked before I even write. I was told it is, quote, too hot to handle so, Chris Bray, I want to ask you, um, what are the stories that you think are being tagged Too Hot to Handle right now in this country? So, Chris, I'll let you think about that. It's, I'm a, a sponsor podcast, and we're so blessed to have partners that let you and I have conversations like this. And one of those um, partners is Soda Weight Loss, Sodaweightloss.com. We're close enough now to Christmas and New Year's, that it's going to be a flood of people who are going to go to sodawaitloss.com to drop unwanted fat. People do that with New Year's resolutions. So let me give you a couple of heads up, uh, in, in regard to getting in touch with these guys at sodawaitloss.com. Why do I, uh, so value their, their work? Well, it's scientifically based. What do I mean by that? They measure their results. How? They make predictions about how much unwanted fat you will lose in a given time if you follow the program. And then what they do is they observe their predictions. Why? Because it determines if their model is working. Well, what else? They use a form of peer review. There are those people who set up their their own reviews on their websites. That's often fakery. Now, Google reviews for all the evil Google does. It's a difficult thing to get over 7,000 reviews With 4.8 out of 5 possible stars. That's soda weight loss. Why? else? because I have family members who are on the program and they're killing it. And they're happy. Why? Because I understand the protocols. But then let me give you this heads up. Be prepared for some things. Okay? You're going to be asked to drink a bunch of water. Why? Because it helps your body drop unwanted fat. That's why. And it's important. I recently figured out that I was radically... Underhydrated hydrated because I hadn't been tracking my water and know this be prepared for them to work with you every week on how to make the program better meet it you're going to go through periods where you drop a lot of fat maybe you'll hit a plateau that happens and they're so good at helping you understand why these plateaus happen and how to get your body out of plateau mode Get ready to drop unwanted fats in this coming year on a predictable basis, which also relates then to price predictability. And know this, when they ultimately tell you what you're going to invest to get this done, remember that that includes most of your food that you're going to eat during that period of time. It's Soda Weight Loss at SodaWeightLoss.com. Continuing our discussion with Chris Bray. What are the stories that you think are being tagged too hot to handle right now in this country? (laughs)
1: I mean, uh, there are two. And uh, this is why we're grateful for Substack. This is why we're grateful that Elon Musk bought Twitter and is bringing people back. And one is, um, how do the vaccines work? How do the COVID vaccines work? How do the mRNA injections work? Yep. What harms are they causing? We've seen now a new study that that, uh, was just published very recently in a cardiology journal uh, by doctors who did autopsies on people who died after vaccination and said a number of the, a number of them had significant damage to their hearts that hadn't been diagnosed. You're not seeing that in the New York times. You're not seeing that in the Huffington post. you are not seeing that on the CBS nightly news, and you're not going to. So this search for truth, this search for how do these work and what harms are they causing is uh submarine warfare. <laughs> you know, it's, it's people on alternative media, people who get banned and reinstated, who go to Substack, who look for alternative channels to tell the truth about what's happening. And, and it it means that a course correction that we should have made at least a year ago, um, we can't get to the course correction because people just won't see the truth about it. And, and the other is um, what you've been talking about, what we're doing to children and the idea that it's really wonderful and healthy and life affirming to cut off a fifteen-year-old's breasts, or do genital reassignment surgery on a teenager, uh, and we have now uh, the example of Jazz Jennings, who is the first media transgender child superstar, who is now talking about how badly, how much harm has been done to his body. Yeah. Um, and, and how horribly the surgeries went. And we have people who are detransitioning and, and we have people in media who are saying there's no such thing as detransitioning. Do not say that. Do not talk about it. Do not yeah. cover it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, all of it's centered on the body. I think all of it's centered on, on our weird alienation with our body as we, this is an irony as we sit here talking to each other over a computer, right? Right. But the degree to which our lives have been oriented to virtual reality and, and uh you know computer reality and talking to each other online and living online and not living in, in what we used to call meat space twenty years ago yep. in real life. I think we've become I think many of us have become alienated with from our bodies. This tremendous growth of obesity. There's a tremendous decline of stable sexual uh connection. Yep. There's a decline of marriage, there's a decline of long-term relationships. So the way we live in our bodies, like all of these people saying, I'm alienated with my body, from my body, I, I don't feel comfortable in my body. The solution must be to chop pieces off of myself and reassign my gender. Um, people taking injections that cause significant harm to a significant number of people, and they decline to see it. I think we're struggling... With our physical reality and struggling with a connection with our own bodies and a connection with real life between human beings,
0: so so beautifully said, and I know that you and I'm now forgive me if I am misappropriating someone else's work and putting it in your hands, uh, but I read a, a brilliant piece describing uh the physicals versus the virtuals uh and 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 was that you?
1: On our clients,
0: yeah, I think, yeah, the virtuals, the virtuals are coming into what we what we used to call the meat space. That they're now making their way into our bodies. Uh, there was legislation that accomplished that. I think Obamacare, which I describe as being forced to purchase a product you don't need from a company you hate for services you will never need at prices you cannot afford. Other than that, it's great. That was a precursor to the to the power seizures of COVID and the response to COVID, which have been targeted and 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 brilliantly executed in my judgment, Chris. Um but yeah, they, they've made their way now into our body and you're going to just need to trust us when we tell you that putting this mRNA inside yourself is okay. And here's a piece that, that, that I, am, I cannot believe doesn't get more focus um, is the Japanese experiments where they introduced the COVID, I believe it was the Pfizer concoction into human DNA uh, in vitro just to observe it. And they came out and said, wow, look, it reverse transcribed itself. In, into the DNA, I would think that would be a remarkable news story. But it goes to uh, so many things we've discussed that the reporters are going, "Wait, reverse transcription? What's that?" And and health reporters, sometimes science reporters, are the blindest people. Well, or then, but isn't is the shortcut to this? Well, what does Doctor Fauci say? And we get Fauci saying, "Well, there's there's really no uh, mechanism uh, by which uh, uh, mRNA uh, could write itself <laughs> into uh, <laughs> into the DNA, right? That, that doesn't. Uh- <laughs> this is the same guy." Chris, who got away with this, this is this is the Fauci, this is Fauci forever. Reporter, Dr. Fauci. Some families say their kids are having violent allergic reactions uh, to the vaccines. Um, and are, are in fact needing to enter into treatment for anaphylactic shock. What is your advice to them, Fauci? Well, I, I would wait a couple of weeks after their heart goes back to the normal size and then, and then I would have them uh, get, get shot up again. Uh, so my question for you is if you were the unimpeachable king of the journalism universe, Chris Bray, What would you, as unimpeachable king of the journalism universe, what would you do to help reporters and news organizations actually uncode uh, blatant, hysterical credentialism like that? Chris has said at the beginning of the program um, that one of my great joys is getting to chat with people like you uh, and getting to share with you. In fact, you should know these guys. I should introduce you to these guys. You would love these guys. I work with a company called Allen'S Soaps at Allensoaps.com/ slash Todd. Great great story. Yeah, I would love to see you write about these guys, actually. Uh so I met John, who is the adult at at Allen Soaps at I mean that literally, he's the dad. I met him in politics. And John knew how to get stuff done. As an entrepreneur, and sometimes in politics and political entrepreneurship, you slash and you burn. And he was amongst the best. And then he had kids. Well, he had kids, but his younger kids, uh, he learned that they had structural challenges, a profound autism, profound structural challenges in their body, which would lead young Alan, who's the chief soap officer at Alan Soaps, into his seventh surgery. And he'll probably double that in his lifetime. And his focus changed to his family. You know what he wanted? His boy to have a place to work. So he shifted gears and Alan Soaps was formed. AlanSoaps.com slash Todd. And then they found experts, a family who's been making soap for three generations from the old country. They do it here now. Made in America in small batch, all natural ingredients. And then he mined his son's memory. Alan can't form full sentences, but his mom and dad know how to, how to communicate with him. So to see to what Jasmine is born. And many of the other unique fragrances are born. Watermelon basil born out of the memory of Alan, who's the chief soap officer. Incidentally, he's not a mascot. He works there every single day. The soap is amazing. You can get a subscription. You can build your own package, DIY package. This subscription is called The Herminator. You go to allensoapscom slash Todd. alansoaps.com slash Todd. You get their 10% off everything on that website when you use my name. Todd is a promo code. AlanSopes.com slash Todd. Facts. You know what? I got to send. I need to get your address, Chris, and send you some of this. Continuing our discussion with Chris Bray. What would you, as unimpeachable king of the journalism universe, what would you do to help reporters and news organizations actually uncode uh, blatant hysterical credentialism like that?
1: Yeah, the first thing you have to do. There was a journalist uh, who gave a – not a journalist, uh, an economist who gave a a, – what what the heck do they call them when everyone's graduating? A a commencement speech at Berkeley – Many years ago, and he said, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about economics in five minutes. (laughs) And he said, 90% of economics is people respond to incentives and they respond to disincentives. Someone put together a brilliant, brilliant reel of news, nightly news programs, beginning with welcome to Anderson Cooper on CNN. Brought to you by Pfizer. Pfizer. Yes. (laughs) The first thing you do. Is is go back to the to detaching and building the wall between the newsroom and the sponsorship. It is perfectly clear that money is driving the answers. It is perfectly clear that a whole lot of media organizations are struggling to survive because there's been a tremendous fragmenting of the audience because uh, people don't get the physical newspaper anymore. That that media organizations are struggling to pay the bills and. Yeah. Here comes a company, a couple of companies that have made tens of billions of dollars that have a lot of money to give away. And one of the things I've been writing about is the absolutely enormous flood of federal money going into narrative yes. making. The National Science Foundation has spent tens of millions of dollars on expert teams to combat disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> and... And you know what that does. People respond to incentives and they respond to disincentives. People know where the paycheck is. People know where the pot of money is. So the first thing you have to do to get journalism and academia and, and the culture of expertise back to seeking the truth is break that cycle of, of incentives. Yeah. Brought to you by Pfizer. Uh,
0: I run that reel. I, (laughs) I have that. I have that here. I I run that reel. Um, There's also this, I think that, um, the art of questioning, uh, I think, is lost in in script creation. Uh, I used to work in D.C. for a little while. I was the chief digital strategist at the RNC before I. I'm a recovering political activist. Well, not activist, but recovering political person. I did that for you know a, a cycle and a half, and I just saw I saw Babylon, frankly. And uh, there is the, the you know these scripted questions. We know that happens in these so-called press conferences in D.C. But for instance, I mean, I heard Fauci say the other day that in regard to boosters and mask requirements in schools, he said, well, uh, when you're dealing with a pandemic in lifetime, uh, you have to make decisions uh, on that based upon uh, viral, uh, viral load. And I hear that and I go, can I ask you a question? How do you measure viral load? Well, uh, and, and he'd have to, you know, he couldn't say PCR test if you're halfway educated, so I'd like to see that, but there's another experiment I'd like to see. And this involves, like, I used to live in a separate country like you do. You live in California, and God God bless you for staying and fighting. Uh, <laughs> but Chris, uh, what would you think of going to the newsrooms and saying, here's the deal, we're going to dissolve the New York offices, right? You're going to live it with the deplorables. You're going to live, uh, what was it they called it in Victorian England, uh, the vulgars. Uh-huh. You're going to go live amongst the physicals. Right. You're going to live next door to people who make livings with their hands. And we're also going to tell you, you have to go to church or you have to join a community group. You have to do something. You don't get to cloister. I think if you did that, I think you've had a whole lot of people going, wait, so you don't eat your kids. Wait, Wait, so you, you carry you're carrying a gun, but you're not going to shoot me with it. Wait, where are yes. the militia meetings? And why right, uh, 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 Don't you guys have like tra- tanks in your yard? Uh, you know, I, I think that could be very helpful to actually. Hey, why don't you live in America for a little while? Because I know you've spent time in these cities. There's nothing more bubble think uh, and and uh, far intelligent than a certain six block region of Manhattan. Mm.
1: Let me let me say this this way. Yeah. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the beat poet, the owner of City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, was a Navy officer in World War II. Wow. <laughs> Whatever figure you look at in that generation who was a uh, you know, major figure of the counterculture, some wild cultural outlier, served in the military. And now some, uh, we, you know something like less than 10% of the country ever serves in the military. And I'm not a fan of conscription. And I, I don't think it's unhealthy to have fewer people serving in the military, but there was a period in our history where lots of people, uh, what the Neil Simon play, I forget what it's called, about the kid from Brooklyn who goes to to basic training, Biloxi Blues. Yeah. Um, there was a period in our lives where we where at least all the men went to a place where they met people from all over the country where they met people from all the social classes. Um, I went to basic training, you know, and I was from Los Angeles and my battle buddy. I was roster number 116 and roster number 115 was from rural Montana. And he used to call me his battle yuppie. Um, And there were kids from Brooklyn, there were kids from Long Beach, there were kids from Iowa. We all got to know each other. In a way that I don't think we have anymore, I, I, I think cloistering. Do you, you remember there was a reporter at the Washington Post who wrote a story? I forget his name, but he wrote a story about um, the worst community in America, the worst <laughs> place to live, based on data. Yes. <laughs> without going there. And they called him and said, why don't you come visit? And he moved there. I
0: I remember that. And Chris, I remember, you may remember this. There was uh, a reporter, uh, of course, a New York based reporter who talked about uh, Texas and said that uh, Texas is a place where people, everybody owns a truck, but few people own ranches. Um, So the truck is a status symbol. And I wanted so desperately to get to that person and say, have you spent 10 minutes on Sixth Avenue? Where there are a hundred and fifty thousand dollar jaguars that never go above six miles per hour, where there are people who park their Lamborghinis in the parking lot of their building and don't drive them right, you, you my have the, favorite,
1: right? My experience experiences driving ten miles an hour behind a maserati on sunset boulevard yeah yeah uh
0: so part of me is so tempted to say, tell me a story um. Because, see, what you just did there, again, I've learned so many things in this brief talk. Uh, I do want to ask you to relate something because it's a, it's another aspect of your writing. Um, you once told a story about going for a drive in the desert with with nowhere in particular to go, and and I remember that one, and I cherish that one for the memories, but there was something else because it relates. It's, it, it crosses over what we've talked about. You talked about a park um, outside of Los Angeles where you used to go, and I believe you took family there, and... and um, you know, overnight camping and it was wilderness, but with the city lights of Los Angeles yeah. in the backgrounds. And will you complete that story for my podcast family? Because that was so poignant and speaks so much to what I would say we're losing, except that's a passive phrase. What's being taken from us
1: yeah you're talking about Henninger Flats up above Pasadena that you walk to it's about three and a half miles of of really uphill walking and i i if you ever do it with an eight year old you'll hear complaining all the way <laughs> um, but it's a series of campgrounds that are run by the Forestry Division of the Los Angeles County Fire Department that are right outside the city i mean you you sift you can look at downtown l a you can wake up in your tent with deer walking through the campground looking at downtown LA. So it's nature and it's the wilderness and it's right at the edge of the Angeles national forest, but it's connected to the city. And for decades, there was uh, a ranger there. There was a a forestry assistant. They called him who slept, who did a 24 hour shift and slept at the visitor center and was there to help you if you needed help. And because it's an uphill walk to get there, you don't want to carry firewood. So they prepared firewood for people And there were like probably 50, 60 campgrounds. You'd go up there and there'd be a hundred people there. I went camping there with my daughter once and we fell asleep in an empty campground and woke up in a sea of Boy Scouts. (laughs) It was a place where families could go out of the city quickly and easily to be in nature and be around wild animals and be in the trees. And when COVID came, because you'll get a virus if you go hiking. Yeah. The county closed the trail and closed the campground, and they haven't reopened it. They're not allowing camping. There's no forestry assistant there. The visitor center is mostly empty. And I'm seeing that all over right now in the Angeles National Forest with snow falling, with snow in the trees. They're saying that uh, no campfires are allowed because of extreme fire risk until at least May. So they've basically closed. You know hundreds of square miles of wilderness area adjacent to Los Angeles that are places where families have gone camping quickly and easily out of Los Angeles and we're losing we're losing more and what we're getting less and less of government service that gives you things that helps you yeah. that makes your life better as government becomes more and more expensive and more and more powerful, somehow yeah. it's giving us less yeah and serving us less
0: yeah, but you're gonna have uh, uh AI headsets, baby. No disinformation, Chris, because it will all be screened in advance by the very
1: large government teams checking your information to make sure it's all safe.
0: Yeah. Uh what a joy it has been. I don't want to take you long out of respect for your time. Uh because frankly I could talk with you for many hours. Uh folks, please subscribe to Chris's work at Substack. It's right here in the Substack notes. Give it as Christmas gifts. Uh, and if I could be so bold and at the risk of embarrassing Chris Bray, uh, give this to your kids. And I'll tell you why. Is because the way the gentleman writes is, is it's culture conversant. Uh, he knows how to use and embed videos and and, and memes and um, and writes in such a way that it's difficult. I think it would be horribly difficult to not like him unless you're a narrative cop, in which case uh, you, you can. you Well, in fact, you don't you don't need to know why. It's just going to call. It's going to go out. Hey, Chris Bray, he's a terrible, terrible man, as you can just see by this conversation. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I always ask my guests, Chris, um, and we haven't talked about faith. Maybe one day we will, but I always ask my guests, um, I thank you and ask you to go with God's good grace and may God continue to bless you and your work. And this is the Todd Herman show. And to you all, please go be well, be strong, be kind. uh, And remember, remember that from my perspective, one thing about God so interesting is he's pro free speech. He's pro responsibility too. But to the other side, they're not so much pro free speech. That should tell us something.